on SAFM. ESG skills in Africa and the impact of environmental, social and governance, ESG, on business and finance is certainly something which more and more is becoming central in funding models and in how businesses approach engaging private, I mean public sector and public sector, private sector. Environmental, social and governance, ESG, investing has become increasingly mainstream in recent years. Globally, this type of investing accounts for somewhere between one and two out of every four investment dollars. Across the continent, Africa, it would be fair to say that ESG investing has not only been at the top of the priority list for corporates and investors. However, that is changing and these issues will increasingly impact the investment landscape. Companies in Africa, big and small, will experience increased demands and expectations regarding how they conduct business. Sustainability, in a word, therefore, in business, is a meta or mega trend, I beg your pardon. Sustainability in business is a mega trend and it will continue to grow. Let's unpack this further now with our guest this evening here for the final conversation for the day. Jeremy Osborne, head of ESG at AICPA and CIMA. Jeremy, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to SFM. So good to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Very pleased to be with you tonight. For those who might miss ESG and its importance, especially in the conversations of the modern world when we talk about sustainable development, how can you use a more accessible definition or narrative to help us understand what ESG is, in particular ESG-based financing? I think it helps to uh, break down, as you've just done, uh, the E, the S uh, and the G um, and think about how each of those might apply uh, in your private lives uh, or perhaps in your uh, in your business life. Um, so the E, as you've said, um, is for environmental, uh, and that's primarily to do with the natural resources and relationships uh, that a, an organisation or a business uh, may depend on and have impacts on. Um, and the most significant uh, E of all, of course, uh, that doesn't begin with E, uh, is climate change and how that's um, affecting uh, each and every one of us. Um, the S is social, uh, and that's to do uh, with an organization's broader interactions uh, with society and the world around it. And we're all human beings. We're all very social um, by nature. And that's part and parcel, of course, of the business community, too. We depend on relationships with suppliers, uh, and with one another to get work done um, and to sell stuff um, to one another. And then the G um, is for governance. Now, this is, uh, I think, the least well understood aspect of ESG. But governance primarily relates to how an organization um, manages and is led, particularly by those at a senior level. So um, the executive leadership team um, and the board and having the right mix um, and diversity of skills and experience around the boardroom table and around uh, the table for the senior um, leadership team to help ensure that the uh, the company is run uh, with long-term value creation in mind and that difficult balance between short-term and long-term value creation. Why is it more now than ever before necessary to then focus, and thank you for that definition because it certainly does make it that much more accessible, why now? Is it more necessary than ever before to focus on ESG? Why are governments hard-pressed to ensure that on that scorecard, let us say, they come home and they come home well? 
why is there this sudden need push and what are the trends that other nations are having to adopt it, it does it's a really good question um i think that the catalyst for a lot of this movement has been climate change um and the business the global business community uh, has has really embraced um uh, how climate change understanding how climate change impacts um, on the operations and the nature of the business and likewise how their operations and value chain um, have an impact um, on climate change so there's an urgency to this which really stems from the need um, for everybody all businesses around the world um, to do what they can um, to help ensure that we we keep within the one and a half degree limit to global warming um, that uh, all of the signatories to the Paris Accord in 2015 signed up to but that's only one aspect. Um, there are many interrelated um, elements that uh, 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 are connected with climate change. So, for example, biodiversity is inextricably linked um, with climate change. And of course, we know, particularly for low lying nations, particularly island nations, that that will have a huge impact on their ability to survive as societies um, into time. the future. So it, it's galvanized activity across these other areas too. So as we broaden out the definition of environmental to encompass matters that maybe connect with climate change, but are also broader than that. And we incorporate um, social elements too. And then we think about the sort of the, the wrapper of governance around that and how that can contribute um, towards sustainable management um, of natural resources and sustainable management of our social relationships. Uh, then uh, I, I think that helps explain why we are where we are. But as you also said in the introduction, um, the opportunity to access um, so-called green funds um, is huge. Um, and the amount of capital that will flow towards um, businesses and organisations which are actively contributing uh, towards the fight against climate change and in support of these other really important aspects um, of environmental uh, and social considerations uh, will have access to a broader array of finance than might otherwise be the case. And I suppose in that broader array of finance and accessing to all these amounts of monies that have been put aside, there probably needs to be the development of global standards in terms of how now how to approach this from a financial um, funding model perspective, from a reporting and accounting perspective. And I suppose this is what really I want to delve into on the other side of this very short break. My guest this evening, ladies and gentlemen, is Mr. Jeremy Osborne, head of ESG at ICPA and CIMA, that's the Chartered Institute of Management Accountants. After this ad break, we talk more about effectively sustainable development in this world and the role of finance in relation to all of this. And I can't imagine there isn't anybody who cannot have an opinion on the changing weather patterns and the environment at large and how one is having to focus and move and behave very differently around one's environment, especially in recent times. I mean, here in South Africa, for instance, we're getting some rather extreme weather developments where in many parts of the country people are saying it's very cold and yet we're at the height of our summer. And in some places it is extremely hot. And when it rains, quite literally, it pours. We have seen more and more floods in parts of the country where traditionally we might not have experienced these things. These things speak to climate change and how are nations and companies responding to that after this break, Jeremy Osborne shall further unpack. The time is 21.39. Please do participate, therefore, on our platforms, 0860-000-2032. That's the number to dial. It would be great to engage on this topic. 
The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songes on SAFM. We are talking about ESG, and I don't have to repeat to you what that is because it certainly has been well explained. Environmental, social, and governance. These are now the conversations that are part of the business as well as the political world as we engage climate change and its implications on global development now. In November last year, COP27, and this is to you, Mr. Osborne. I would imagine it would have filled you with a tremendous amount of pride, the passion with which she delivered her speech, Prime Minister of Barbados, Maya Motley, as she was engaging the fundamental questions of climate change, its threat to existence of many communities, particularly in the Caribbean and large parts of the Pacific Islands, that if government does not treat, or governments worldwide and funders worldwide do not treat this as an emergency and deploy the necessary resources, instruments, frameworks, including legislative frameworks and industry or association frameworks in terms of how to move, many nations in this very lifetime that you and I have will vanish forever off the face of the earth. What does a speech like that do to fast track and to necessarily increase the momentum around ESG-based changes? Well, it's very, very moving um, to listen to any leader, um, particularly of a a, a low-lying island state um, or a country like Bangladesh, which is very prone anyway to to flooding, um, talking about... The, the devastating impact um, that climate change will have on their ability, um, in some cases, to survive um, as independent um, island states. Um, I, I think what it does more than anything is it makes one realise that this is something very real. Uh, it's it's not just an inconvenience um, that it, it, it might be the experience of climate change elsewhere in the world. It, it's actually mm. um, potentially quite quite devastating and. I think adds to that sense of urgency and, and urgency is, is often used to describe the fight against climate change and the business community um, has, a, has, has a really significant role to play there. Um, COP26, so the year before, um, is when um, the International Sustainability Standards Board was launched and that's laying the groundwork um, for the international rules for how to account, um, not just for climate change, but for other um, material sustainability um, issues that, that um, mm. businesses face day to day. In this conversation, is enough attention paid to animals, wildlife, generally speaking? I know sustainable development should, by its nature, include that conversation, but are we more worried in this conversation about ourselves because human beings are wanted to be selfish, or does it inherently, fundamentally, and the conversation reflect that it's not just the human beings, but the extended flora and fauna in the E part of ESG, the broader environment? So that is happening. Um, and I, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's very difficult to break away from that anthropocentric view uh, of um, of our relationship with the natural environment. But we're, of course, inextricably bound up with it. We are a part of it. We're not removed from the natural world or separate from it, even if we might believe we are at times. Um, and that's why issues such as biodiversity, which is um, the, the, the ecosystem that sustains life on this planet, um, 
has risen up the corporate agenda uh, over, particularly over the last um, few years. I, I think it'd be fair to say that um, had I uh, had a conversation uh, with a with a business five years ago, uh, mm. for example, and had brought up the topic of biodiversity, I think I would probably have been met with some quite quizzical uh, eyes across the table as to what on earth is that and why is it relevant to us as an organisation. Now, however, and again, it comes. I think it goes back to businesses being familiar with the idea of needing to account for the impact they have on something and the impact that that something has on them, such as climate change. Now understand that other um, issues such as biodiversity are just as important. So I'd completely agree with your point um, that understanding uh, from a from within a business context um, how the relationship with the ecosystem that may sustain the supply chain of that uh, organization may be part and parcel of the ability for the organization to deliver its products and services, might be part and parcel of its broader value chain. Maybe it's mm. um, uh, customers up the, the supply, down the, um, uh, the, 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 the supply chain or up the supply chain, um, uh, how they may be dependent on that ecosystem. Um, and I think what this is doing is it's helping um, business leaders understand that um, although we may historically have presented um, business performance as somehow being removed and abstract from the world around it, because we've had these mm. nice things to work with in the form of financial profit and loss accounts and balance sheets that are nice and tidy um, and, and not sort of the, the, the messy world of how business actually engages and is dependent on the world around it. What the, the, the emerging standards are doing um, for how to account for this is they're helping to make business they're helping businesses understand how that performance that's reflected in their balance sheet and in their profit and loss account is mm -hmm. also inextricably connected with the world around them well that's probably pivoting to my next question and and for those who have just joined us i am in conversation with mr jeremy osborne the head of esg at the Association of International Certified Professional Accountants, as well as the Chartered Institute of Management Accountants, you talk about reporting. How is the conversation or the value rather, perhaps, particularly the accounting profession in building such institutions of not just the funding models, but how the reporting on ESG and the spending of such funds to get a better picture as to the changing behaviors of corporates and governments for that matter in response to the broader appeal of ESG and sustainable development? What are some of the fundamental tenets that really should feature this so that we can get better returns for the monies supposedly spent? And of course, access to that capital depends on quality reporting and comprehensive reporting um, about the, the E, the S and the G um, mm. of an organization. And there's there's a really nice link here um, with South Africa. So um, the integrated reporting movement, um, which was born of the um, the three king uh, codes of corporate governance, yes. um, uh, really provides a framework for how to connect financial reporting um, with reporting about an organization's impacts and dependencies on other types of capital, such as natural capital that we've been talking about, or human mm. capital or intellectual mm. capital. And that model um, is being strongly encouraged um, by an organization called the IFRS Foundation, which sets um, for most of the world uh, the, uh, the financial 
um, accounting standards for what's reported. Now, they also set up the International Sustainability Standards Board, which is doing the equivalent for sustainability-related financial disclosures. But of course, those need to be connected with one another so that investors understand if you pull a lever uh, um, for, for such and such a capital, such as natural capital or, or human capital, what impact does that have on your financial capital and your financial performance? So the starting point, um, of course, is the underlying rules and requirements around what to report. Um, and that's where the International Sustainability Standard Board, which uh, in the spring, uh, in March last year, um, issued its first two exposure drafts, uh, which is um, it's just a fancy way of saying um, the, the first drafts of um, the, the proposed standards that were then consulted on. Um, those need um, a corporate reporting framework so that investors in particular can understand how an organization's performance around particularly E and the S and the governance structure um, that supports those, how that's contributing um, or perhaps how it's um, denigrating from uh, the creation of, of financial capital. Um, so uh, South Africa played a really important role uh, with developing um, the first uh, integrated reporting framework. And mm. um, that's, of course, uh, has been a requirement for South African companies on the, um, the Joburg Stock Exchange for many years. Um, and that model um, has mushroomed around the world. Um, and uh, there are now 2,000 companies that have adopted this framework. Um, and I suspect with um, the strong words of encouragement uh, from the, um, the chairs of the International Sustainability Standards Board for companies to use this as a means of connecting their sustainability performance to their financial performance, um, that we'll see um, uh, adoption of this particular approach to corporate reporting uh, blossom in the years ahead. That um, approach, of course, being taken up by some 2,000 companies, while great, is still very low in relation to the actual demand that perhaps would make the kind of impact, certainly that in due course is required. I'm asking essentially then, what do we need to get um, a more readily uh, conducive environment for business then? to increase the uptake? Would we need some political intervention? Would we need some lobbying of a different kind? And if it would be, what is it that is not currently taking place so as to get triple, quadruple, however many times more than the 2,000 <laughs> companies worldwide who are on this bus? It, it's generally a mixture of, of sticks and carrots. Um, so the sticks, for example, uh, would be uh, national um, or in the case uh, of, a, of, a, of a trading block like the EU, um, supranational regulators to mandate and require um, adoption of a particular form um, of corporate reporting. So that, that's one approach. Um, in the UK, for example, um, the government requires um, organisations now um, to report against um, the four recommendations of the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, um, and, and those, th that structure is also the structure um, of the, the draft standards of the International Sustainability Standards Board. So that, that's one approach. The other approach um, is carrots. And um, a, a very large carrot, it's rather a golden carrot, of course, is investors. Uh, and um, the more they um, uh, ask uh, for this type of connected reporting, the connection of the financial with the E, the S and the G, um, the more companies um, are likely to, on a voluntary basis, uh, adopt this type of, of, of corporate reporting. Um, so, for example, um, when Larry Fink, 
uh, the CEO of, of BlackRock, um, uh, announced, I think it was uh, just before the pandemic, I think it was, it was uh, this time three years ago, um, mm. that um, uh, BlackRock expected companies um, to adopt um, the, uh, uh, the, the standards from the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, which is a US, at the time was a US-based entity, um, that led to a, a, a huge um, voluntary adoption of those standards. And there was no um, stick behind that. That was the carrot um, of, a, a, of a large investor um, being dangled in front of, of uh, many of the world's largest companies. Um, so it, it's a mixture of the two. Um, although it's 2000, they are some of the world's largest companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, of course, uh, um, provides a model um, for others to follow. Um, and I think um, uh, w- with the, the, the words of encouragement um, from the IFRS Foundation, that will be noted by regulators around the world. Um, and they may choose uh, to echo those words or perhaps uh, require adoption um, of, of the integration reporting framework or its equivalent. Um, so the, those are the, the different mechanisms uh, which can be used um, uh, to, Certain to affect industries. this sort of thing. Thanks, Jeremy. I mean... The, this question, of course, is nuanced depending on the kind of industry or business you are in. So, for instance, your mining companies and your companies in the energy industry would probably be more awake and alive to these ESG questions and concerns and need to adopt pathways that address ESG as, say, a company that is not operating in such industries. What has been the experience with some of those major global players in response to ESG and all the questions under which, or or, all the questions you and I have essentially addressed? I mean, they they would be in the line of fire typically if they don't adopt ESG sponsoring initiatives. Yeah, you're right. And and of course, metals and mining companies are immensely important um, to the the South African and the broader Africa um, economy. Um, and they, um, I think, have found adoption of, of this um, broader approach to how we think about and conceptualize and, and measure and report value, um, perhaps uh, a, a little bit easier because they've been doing it for a long time. You know, a, a, any major mining firm that, that wants to create a new mine is, is likely to have to demonstrate um, to the local community and to the national government what benefit it's going to bring to local society, how that um, may or may not offset um, the environmental uh, damage that could be caused um, through the mines operations. So um, I think um, it's perhaps uh, uh, more familiar um, conceptually uh, for for metals and mining companies. However, um, I think what we've seen um, over the last few years is all organizations um, have realized um, that they, they don't exist in a vacuum. Um, they're not uh, some sort of mythical island that somehow is disconnected um, from everything other than financial capital. Um, it, even an investment manager uh, uh, managing a portfolio ultimately has clients um, that he or she um, is managing money on their behalf and will have a network of colleagues um, with whom um, he or she works. So immediately one has social and relationship capital um, and one has human capital um, and they're bright people, so one has intellectual capital too. So we've already got three capitals um, in addition to financial capitals uh, um, without having to really think about it too much. So um, I, I think other organisations, in, uh, organisations in different industries um, uh, have uh, uh, become more mature, shall we say, um, in understanding um, the relationship that they do have 
um, with these other types of um, capital um, and how ultimately their, their sustainable management of that um, creates uh, 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 value creation, uh, creates value um, mm. over time. Um, and an element of that is expressed through financial performance and the things we're used to, dividends to shareholders, share price accretion, um, a healthy balance sheet, a healthy cash flow statement, et cetera, et cetera. And, and all of that really owes itself. I mean, for that to happen in the utopian and best best case scenario sense, the, the, the corporate reporting and disclosure frameworks really therefore become that much more important so that to, to articulate this capital and how this capital is being optimized in that regard. I am minded to ask, though, what then becomes the stumbling block to successful implementation of ESG strategies? So at, at the moment, I think one of the stumbling blocks um, is um, capacity um, within the system. If one, one thinks about the flow of information from those who prepare it within a corporation, within a business, those who audit and assure it, uh, and then those who ultimately apply that information um, to portfolio management um, and investment decision making, there's huge demand across the whole of that value chain um, for skilled professionals who understand how to interpret um, this somewhat sort of nascent information um, around ESG, it will get better. I mean, it will get more reliable. It will become um, more material over time as the um, the rules within the EU, the international rules develop through the work of the IWSB. Um, but we're in a, a, a sort of bit of a, a funny patch at the moment in which um, the information um, isn't quite complete. Um, it may not always be terribly material. People aren't so familiar with it. So there's a really, really um, important question, uh, a problem to solve around capacity within the system. And that's where we, um, as the world's largest accountancy institute, AICPA and SEMA, um, along with the other big institutes, have a, have a really important role to play with supporting um, professional accountants working in business, those working mm. for audit firms, those who might be working in portfolio management, to understand how to essentially translate all the skills they have for financial information and apply mm -hmm. it to a slightly different mix of information so that ultimately the investors and other key stakeholders uh, get the right information to support portfolio management. So those huge capital um, flows that were promised um, yeah. can flow towards the more sustainable organizations uh, and perhaps divest from those that have an inherently unsustainable business model. And I suppose that means you have your work cut out to achieve that. But certainly it has been an absolute pleasure having a conversation with you, Mr. Jeremy Osborne. Thank you so much for your time and the insights that you have shared with us here on SAFM. Thank you. 2159, folks. Uh, well, that's the end of the show. As quickly as it started, so it ends. How enjoyable it has been. This is Songa Zomabek and Tabiseng, Lesejo and Phineas signing out. Goodbye. We have a date. Same time tomorrow. Until then, bye-bye.